This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Clavio. Clavio is a platform that helps growth focused e commerce brands drive more sales with super targeted, highly relevant email, Facebook, and Instagram marketing. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Michael Margulis. He is the CEO and founder of Storied, a strategic messaging firm specializing in the story of innovation and disruption. He's also the author of a book we're going to talk about today, Story 10X, Turn the Impossible into the Inevitable. So, Michael, thanks for joining me. John, thank you. It's, it's an absolute thrill for us to connect today. So when did story come into your life? I mean, we all have stories, childhood stories, but when did you start realizing it was it, it was a tool that you could or should use? Yeah, what a great question. So... I mean, you know, for me, like it is for many of us, uh, I came to story and in, in my sense of this path out of huge failure and disappointment. Which is a story by itself, right? <laughs> it, it always is, right? And it was, um, and, it, you know, for me specifically, it was at the age of 23, after my first career, I'd been a social entrepreneur. Um, so I, I came of age at the birth of the internet economy and co-founded a, a nonprofit, had very quick, fast success working on poverty, race, the digital divide, um, complicated stuff, right? Not like selling cupcakes. And despite all the quick success that we had within a couple of years, it all fell apart. Um, and I remember sitting there after it all kind of crumbled. And there was this sense, John, that something in like was missing from the conversation. Like I knew it intuitively, but I didn't have the language for it. Um, specifically how to tell the story of innovation, because when you're dealing with innovation, in this case, this was social innovation, like culture change, much less business innovation. But when you're dealing with innovation, by definition, you're overstepping, doing something you're not supposed to be doing. It's heretical. It's taboo. It's off limits. It gets lost in translation. And it was really that struggle and frustration that set me off on the journey that's been now 20 years of, uh, of mapping and decoding and, and developing uh, narrative frameworks that we deliver and teach inside some of the biggest companies in the world today. So, you know, storytelling, books about storytelling are quite hot right now. So um, what, what, what uh, in your estimation, um, what does Story 10X kind of offer that maybe carves out its unique spot in the storytelling realm? Yeah, absolutely. So what, what people have described it as is actually the world's first book on storytelling for disruptive innovation, right? So one of the things that we often forget is that when it comes to storytelling, which is universal, it's you know, I'm a cultural anthropologist by training. I'm fascinated with the universality of story and in its use across time and history. But storytelling is contextual to the format or the medium. So for instance, if you are writing a screenplay that's for a film, that's a very different format in which you're going to construct and tell a story than a thousand page novel. Well, equally, there's a completely different context, not just for applying storytelling to business, but applying storytelling to innovation and disruption in the context of business, because it's uh, if you think in the traditional storytelling terms, John, when when you when someone sits down to watch a movie or read a book, 
in a certain way, there's a contract with your audience, which is they've agreed to suspend disbelief to go on a journey with you. And now we live in an age of Netflix and like ADD attention span. So that that window shorter and shorter before you go, ah, I'm going to go watch something else or ah, I don't like this book. But nonetheless, your audience is willing to suspend disbelief to go on a journey. Now, when you walk into an executive boardroom or you're leading a town hall with 5,000 employees or you're in front of investors pitching them on your next, your next series of funding, I promise you, nobody's giving you that benefit of suspending disbelief. Right. I suspect the opposite's true, right? You have to, <laughs> you have to, you know, wade through the "I don't believe you." Yeah, well, and that's the paradox. So, what are what are we taught to do, John? Is we're taught to lead with data and conclusions. But if you lead with data, the story is dead on arrival. So that's the paradox because we often forget our audience doesn't have context; they don't see the big picture, and they also don't have emotional self identification. So instead, you're presenting the data that doesn't mean anything to them. And what you'll usually hear back in response is, well, how'd you come up with that data? Right? Or I don't know if I agree with that conclusion. So this is what we describe in the book. Um, it's actually a three-step narrative framework, which uh, helps people to understand that people have to see it and they have to feel it before they can believe it. So data is a critical part of the story but it's the third step in the sequence. And when you actually address getting people to sort of see it, capture their imagination and see the possibilities and get people to empathize and emotionally identify or relate, then they're going to be begging you for the data um, that supports what you're selling. Um, but that one shift makes all the difference. It's almost kind of like they they have to be bought in. They have to realize the problem, you know, and then it's like, okay, well then tell me how this is going to work for me. I mean, it, it, exactly. That's- well, yeah. And to your point about the problem, how often are you in front of an audience that you don't have shared problem definition? Or how often is that audience complicit, if not responsible for that problem? So, of course, here you go presenting the problem, they're going to get defensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, think about how how many products have have gone out there and failed because they were solving a problem the audience didn't know they had. Um, and I think that that's, but that's a, that's a, it's not necessarily a big leap, but it, it takes some skills sometimes because it's just what you said. I've, I've gone out on stages before and said, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. And you can immediately see the arms cross, you know, it's like, you don't know my business. You don't know what you're talking about. That's, ex- that's exactly it. And we don't see, we have this blind spot. So people like you, people like me and many of your listeners, those of us who are the innovators, the change agents, those who carry the torch where we're like, I see the future. I see where things are going. I know what we can do. We get so passionate and enamored with the new story that we forget that the moment you present the new story, anybody that lives in the old story is likely to feel wrong, bad, judged, stupid, or defensive. And then we were like, but, but what's wrong with people? Why, why don't they see what I see? And, you know, like the old saying, John, um, you know, we, we teach what we need to learn most. So a lot of this storytelling stuff for me was, you know, I've always been someone with strong point of view and um, sort of, you know, get ahead of my own britches sometimes. And, and I used to struggle when I was younger of like, what's wrong with people? Like, what, 
why, why not? Why don't they see what I see in that frustration of feeling like I'm hitting my head against the wall? And I started to realize, oh, well, there were actually ways I could adjust how I frame and convey my ideas to create more of a receptive feel, to make it more relatable and accessible because disruption innovation tends to trigger fear. It's the unknown. It's the unfamiliar for folks. So that's been, it's been a humble learning process for my own. So you have an entire section of the book on this uh, framework called the undeniable story. So you want to, you, you started to allude to it and I think I interrupted you. Do you want to kind of say like, here's part one, here's part two, here's part three. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, as you said, undeniable story. So the, the very premise of this is how do you talk about the future in a way that's difficult, if not impossible, to reject. Because remember, right, what's our the biggest thing we're up against? Disbelief. So how do I talk about this way? And, and again, we do a lot of work in Silicon Valley. We work with heads of product and heads of design at places like Facebook and, and Google and Hulu and Tesla and the like. Um, and then we also work with a lot of Fortune 500s that are trying to be like Silicon Valley and lead digital transformation and all this kind of change. So leaders are often having to present this vision about where we're going and what's next. And inevitably, they're up against the VP of no. And and so from that perspective, how do you, again, get people to see it and feel it before they believe it? So those are the three steps. Step number one, see it, um, is actually all about naming the change. So this is actually the most critical step of the three, John, where we often take for granted that people can locate themselves in our story. And, and that also that we're giving them directionality. See, story is like a GPS. So it's a location device, like where are we? And story is also a transportation vehicle, it takes us places. And the question is, where is it taking us and do we want to go there? So part of what we have to do when getting people to see it is we have to frame a context that people can see and that speaks to how the world is changing. So this is one of the storytelling hacks that I that we figured out here, which is when the world changes, you have to change your story to reflect that new world. It's a way to externalize the change or the conflict so that you don't put people on the defensive, that they did something wrong. Is there a simple way for you to give an example of that? Um, and I- yeah, for sure. So it, it's it's everything like inside big companies. It's things like uh, predictive analytics. And or things like AI, automation, like pick any of them that are these big trends and then help people understand what can we do now that we couldn't three or five years ago because of the forcing functions of technology, economics, culture changes, right? There's there are all these forces of change that are creating new opportunities and possibilities. And we take it for granted but like the things that we can do, uh, I was just on a call earlier today with one of our clients that is um, a Fortune Fortune 100 in the um, insurance and financial services space. I was speaking with our chief digital officer. And one of the things they were pointing out is, look, you know, we pay out $40 billion in claims every single year, right? So when someone, um, someone dies early and unexpectedly, or there's a car accident or you know, property damage, so on and so on. Um, Well, what if actually through our predictive analytics, we now actually have the the ability 
to identify signals and indicators that we could do, for instance, uh, monthly screenings in different ways that actually would help to identify breast cancer earlier in the lives of of a middle-aged woman, for instance. Now, that's something that's completely outside the traditional remit of this company. But they're realizing as an insurance company, it's like, okay, how can we get further ahead in the curve of that customer experience based on the commitment we have to our customers, but let's actually like create the interventions earlier on. So that's the kind of example. And, you know, and obviously this guy's a a real visionary inside his company and he has to then be able to convey and communicate this within, within a broader enterprise that's going through transformation. Does that help? Yeah, it does. I was afraid you were going to say that they had with AI and predictive analytics, they were going to be able to tell people they were going to, they were going to be able to tell who was going to die. So I'm glad you didn't go there. You know, sadly, I have a feeling they can figure that out. (laughs) Pretty darn close, I bet. I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Klaviyo. Klaviyo helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers. And this allows you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. There's powerful segmentation, email autoresponders that are ready to go, great reporting. You want to learn a a little bit about the secret to building customer relationships? They've got a really fun series called Clavio's Beyond Black Friday. It's a docu-series, a lot of fun, quick lessons. Just head on over to Clavio.com Beyond BF, Beyond Black Friday. Let's talk about personal stories. So obviously a product um, you know, needs a story and you need ways to simplify concepts and, and uh, information. But does everybody need their own you know, personal story. I mean, obviously speakers are, you know, very well trained to go out on stage and some sort of connection device. I mean, but uh, is, is, is that become sort of standard fare now for anybody that, you know, whether, whatever you're doing, whatever your career is, uh, you should have your story. Yeah. Well, the answer is yes, uh, absolutely. And it plays out sort of, let me give two quick examples. The real simple one for everybody listening is before any business meeting, you've been Googled. Right, which means that people are experiencing your story online before they experience you in real life. So let that sink in for a moment because that's an existential, oh fuck, for just about every single one of us, right? Because it's like, oh God, does this website make me look fat? Right? It brings up every insecurity and inadequacy, and we all have it in some form or another. Um, But your LinkedIn profile, your about page, I mean, John, you know, you and I have so many mutual friends in common. But as we were introduced, I'm sure before our call today, right, you Googled, right? Like you, you followed up on some of the other things that, um, you know, that, that uh, I forget who introduced us, but it was a wonderful friend. But in follow up to that, it's like you follow the breadcrumbs. We all do. Um, and, and so that's the first place. And um, we actually even created an online course for this called The New About Me. It's our best selling online course, which is like, how do you talk about yourself online without sounding like a wanker, right? And like writing that about page using storytelling principles. So that's a basic. Everybody has to do it. Um, and, and even if you are working inside a company, your own personal brand, um, it, it shows up in many different ways as you're building your reputation and your expertise and so on. So that's the basics. We spend a lot of time working with senior leaders inside companies. And so, for instance, we just uh, three weeks ago were with another Fortune 500 client, and we did a leadership summit for the CEO and their top 200 leaders. 
They were presenting their vision and strategy for the year, big transformation they're leading. Every single one of those 200 leaders, SVP and above, over the next month, we're all going to lead town halls for all of their direct reports down the line. And so our session was all about how do you personalize and humanize the larger company vision? And we often forget um, it's tough because many of us, I know you're very passionate about servant leadership. So many of us, you know, who have this servant leadership mindset, we go, you know, but it's not about me. I'm here to serve others. And so part of what we point out and support, though, is you can't separate the message from the messenger. And that by helping people understand your own personal backstory or why, why do you care about this vision? What is it about this new go-to-market or the three pillars of transformation that somehow connect to what you've gone through before in your life or how you've had to lead a transformation somewhere else? People need that personalized, emotionalized connection. And we had leaders, you know, share, we had one leader share a story about how their first job um, was delivering cakes in like a delivery truck and and like all of the comedy of errors that would happen, you know, and trying to balance like five layer cakes and making sure that they didn't show up, you know, turned upside down. Um, or another one of the senior leaders told this story about her first job working at a dry cleaners and the things she learned there about customer service. There were these humble lessons that inform how she applies the work today. So you'd be amazed at how these little personal vignettes will go to humanize you as a senior leader and how people connect with that. Okay. You ready for the tricky question? Oh yeah. I love tricky questions. How much of your story has to be true? Great question. Uh, I'm a big believer, you know, I I live in Los Angeles. uh, So, you know, there's the old Hollywood adage based on a true story. (laughs) So uh, what I always play around with that one too, you know, sometimes it's like based on some things that could have been true. (laughs) Well, so I'm a big believer, first and foremost, of truth with a capital T, right? So truth with a capital T is is you better really be speaking to something that is fundamentally true about yourself, about life in the world. And then it's understanding, just like a good Hollywood screenwriter, is that if you're taking a book like Lord of the Rings and you're adapting it for the screen, you have to make choices that are going to serve your audience. Sometimes you have to simplify the story. Sometimes you make slight zhuzhes because it's just not going to translate otherwise effectively. So um, I, I do think sometimes, you know, there is a little creative flourish and sometimes you're editing, but you have to always ask yourself, the choices that, I might, that I'm making, am I doing it in service to my audience or am I doing it in service to my ego ego validation? Or am I doing it in service to somehow fundamentally deceiving and misleading people on something of material fact that somehow um, negates or um, or warps? It, would they feel truly betrayed if they found out about the adjustments that you've made? So that's that's the subjective line that I that I counsel clients around. So people have used story to manipulate. Um, you know, the classic sort of the one that I see that if I get, if I get a pitch, uh, from somebody that starts with how he or she lost everything and they were, you know, did this and did that. And now they've overcome and they're, you know, doing whatever, um, that, that, you know, the, 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 the essence of that pitch is, 
you know, you're broke too. <laughs> and like I used to be, and now you can be rich like I am. And the essence of that pitch, you know, really rubs me the wrong way. Um, how often do you see um, that being an issue of, and, and I'm not saying all of those are trying to manipulate people, but there's certainly a manipulative aspect to that. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm trying to think what's a simple way to answer that. Cause I could, we could, we could spend the next hour um, unpacking that John, but the, so here's here's what I think. I, I think that we are increasingly living in an age where our audience is getting smarter and smarter, is getting more and more discerning about whether I can believe this story or not. Um, it's it's because we're we're being asked to process and analyze. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, but I, I hate to interrupt you, but you just, I should have interjected a political joke right there, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, we, we could. <laughs> About our audience, our audience believing the truth and well, getting smarter. I'm afraid, no, no, no. Look, but I, well, but I, I think our political environment right now is a great, is a great morality tale around manipulation of story, right? And, and, you know, truthiness and, you know, post fact era and all this other kind of garbage, right? Um, I still fundamentally believe at the end of the day that because of the age of transparency that we're in, that at the end of the day, the half-life of a lie is shorter and shorter and shorter. The truth comes out. And, and we do pay attention to the clues and markers of, do I trust this? Do I believe in this? And most importantly, how does this story make me feel? And we're more and more skeptical of stories that make us feel like crap. This is a big part of the premise of, of the book Story 10X, which is something that Jonah Sachs, uh, another colleague of mine in the world of storytelling, wrote the book Story Wars. He talks about this, that for you know the modern marketing from the 1950s to the last, you know, about 10 years ago was this era of inadequacy marketing, of basically selling and preying on our fears and insecurities. And I think we're becoming more and more resistant to those kinds of messages. Um, so if we feel something is heavy handed, we have a sense of it. People are going to react. I think, I think those strategies are less and less effective um, in this era where we're looking for authenticity, where we're looking for, we're trying to figure out who can we trust and what can we believe. So there's, there's no simple clean answer to it, John, other than, um, I think that uh, that character matters. I think that um, natural authority comes from being able to talk about here's what I know or here's here's what my gift is, and you know what here's where I'm a work in progress. Here's the stuff I've struggled with too, and and the key to it is to make the journey be an open loop. Basically, you're inviting people to join you in the unfolding journey as opposed to back to data and conclusions, the end, the story's over, I've wrapped it up in a pretty little bow, right? And so that shift in mindset, I think, is the paradigm shift for all, for all of us to think about. Because you have to invite people into a story where there's more chapters to be written, if that makes sense. Yep, 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 absolutely. Um, become a part of the story. So, uh, Michael, thanks for dropping by the, the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast to talk about Story 10X. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can find Story 10X on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all your local booksellers. Um, you can also go to our website, getstoried.com. That's G-E-T. 
S-T-O-R-I-E-D.com. And if you go to forward slash story 10X, you can actually download for 70 pages of the book. Um, and feel free to reach out to me uh, through social media. I'm especially active on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there, Michael Margolis. All right. Thanks, Michael. Hopefully we'll uh, run into you soon one day out there on the road. I would love it. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it.